Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Today we're going to be talking about how and why to build the habit of delayed gratification. How and why to build the habit of delayed gratification. Now, first, you know, it's it's important for me to be able to explain what I mean by delayed gratification. It's a it's a fairly common phrase or term that people use so you know, lots of people understand what that means, but I thought I'd start by describing generally what people accept delayed gratification to be and essentially it's the ability to give up a smaller but more immediate reward in order to receive a larger and more enduring reward later so essentially it's about giving up temporary gain in the present in order to secure something bigger more rewarding larger whatever it is in the future so that's what delayed gratification is and why is this something that we're talking about today it is actually studies have shown that it's linked to success so i remember reading about you know something called the marshmallow test so where a group of children were taken into a room i think this was in the 60s late 60s early 70s and they were quite young so probably two age two three i don't remember exactly how old they were but a bunch of kids were taken into a room and uh, an adult walks in and and gives them and puts some treats in front of them so for example maybe a marshmallow or a cookie or a biscuit or whatever and placed in front of them and said um if you wait so you know they were required to either have what is in front of them so for example one marshmallow or if they waited about 15 minutes then they could have two marshmallows so they would get double the reward so the person gave them that explanation and and the instruction and then literally walked out of the room and they obviously recorded what the children is. Some of the children decided to wait 15 minutes or thereabouts to get two marshmallows, while some of the children decided, you know, they, you know, immediately as soon as the man walked out of the room, picked up the marshmallow and ate it. And then another group of children did try to wait a little while, but you know, they were staring at the marshmallow and it looked so inviting that <laughs> they eventually gave up and ate the marshmallow. Now, the uh, interesting thing about this is those children, those same children were tracked 14 years, I think, I believe it was, 14 years after that experiment took place. And it was found out that the ones who chose to wait, that is the ones who ch- chose to delay gratification, 
ended up being more successful than the ones who couldn't delay gratification, who didn't, basically it's linked with self-control, isn't it? Who didn't have the self-control or the self-awareness to be able to say, hang on a minute, if I actually wait only a short time, I'm going to get more for more than I'm going to get now. And several other studies, so I actually researched this and several other studies have shown that there is a link between the ability so it's a skill the ability to be able to develop to delay gratification and being successful in life at least to a degree of success um so that is what we're going to be looking at today we're going to be looking at why it is important for us to develop that skill because it's a skill and it's a habit it's linked with self-control patience self-awareness right and how to actually do it. So it's not just about, okay, you need to be able to delay gratification. I know we all know this, right? <laughs> you're on the diet or you're watching what you eat and you think, oh, if I, if I eat um, this, I don't know, uh, chocolate bar, it's going to throw me off my plan or I'm going to end up feeling so bad about it that it's not worth it in the end. Or I know that I'm supposed to be saving my money, but I, you know, something comes up and say, oh, it's a must have. I need to spend it. I need to buy it. So that is what we're looking at today. How and why to build the habit of delayed gratification. So as always, I'm going to use a Bible character in this teaching. So I'm going to go into the Bible and into my book of wisdom, as I call it. And we're going to be extracting lessons from the life of a man called Arona. Okay, and I, I seriously, <laughs> I sincerely hope I'm calling this name, pronouncing his name correctly. Um, I'm just going to go with Arona. Uh, and hopefully that is the right way to pronounce his name. And this is from First Chronicles 21. So we're going to be going to the Bible and we're extracting lessons from the life of a man called Arona. Okay, so let's get started. I'd like to give a backstory, context to the things that are happening around the character in the situation that we're examining. So this was the time when David was king and it was also coming, you know, nearing the time of his death. So it was about the end of his life. He wasn't dead. He was still, you know, making decisions, etc. He was still king. But I think he only had maybe a few years left and he was quite old. The Bible says later on. So David was king. It was coming to the end of his life. And let us see what David is. So David was actually the one that initiated the sequence of events that we're going to be looking at today in the life of Arona. So First Chronicles 21, and I'm going to read from verse 3. And it says in the Bible that Satan... Okay, it's very clear. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. All right? Now, you might think, okay, what was the big deal about taking a, a census? And why is Satan involved in taking a census? Because, you know, you think about our, our world today, we need to know how many people are in the population for different reasons, for uh, tax, for whatever reasons, okay? Economists, they'll know the reason for that. But essentially, taking a census today, some would even argue that it is essential to the growth of an economy. You need to know who is in the country, the population. So you might think this is a good idea for David to take that census and also to be able to identify for example, how many warriors he has just in case a king comes against him, etc. It sounded like a good idea, but the Bible doesn't mean words. 
the Bible states clearly that Satan rose up against Israel and caused David, so tempted him. He had a choice. So the temptation came and David took the bait, right, to take a census. And just to show you what I mean, um, there was... In the law, when God was giving the law to Moses and everything, it stated specifically that if the census of the population of Israel was to be taken, there were certain things that had to be done as well. I think, for example, it said that the people had to pay some money into the treasury or into, into I think, to the priest or something like that. So David couldn't just get up and decide that he was going to take um, the census or count the people, as the Bible put it. And the consequence of not doing it the right way, the Bible said, was there was going to be a plague. So in Exodus 30, I believe it was, it stated clearly that if you're ever going to take the census of the people of Israel, they have to follow steps one, two, three. Otherwise, a plague would break out and consume them. So David was aware of this. He knew the law. So he couldn't just get up, even though it seemed like a good idea. He couldn't just get up and say, hey, I'm going to go and count the people and not follow through on the way God has had instituted that it should happen. Now, what could possibly have been David's motivation for wanting to take that sentence? Remember, I said that this was towards the end of his life. So he had had so many successes walking with God. I don't know what his motivation was. The Bible doesn't clearly record it. But, you know, we can infer that he might, he might be thinking, let's even see, you know, how much, how much I've grown. Let if, let's even see how much I have accumulated. Let's even try and measure how much success I have attained over this period of time. I'm coming to the end of my life. I want to know how, you know, how excellent I am or <laughs> how well I have done. That may have been his motivation. It's not very clear what his motivation was, but that is one possibility. And a thought like that can only be motivated by pride because you're sitting there, you're saying, it's like the, the, the man who, the Bible talks about the man whose land brought forth plenty. And he said, oh, look at everything that I have done. Now, so sit back and enjoy, right? This, this, the entry point for that suggestion, when Satan came and whispered in the ears of David was actually pride. So he was saying, why don't you, why don't you go and know for sure how many people, how many soldiers you have? So this was not God. It sounded like a good idea, but the motivation was wrong. And you will see, you know, in terms of the consequence, why this was not the right step for David to take. So it says, Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. Now, so it says, David said to Joab, the commander and the commanders of the army. So Joab was like his right hand man and the other commanders of the army. Take a census of all the people of Israel from Beersheba to the south of Dan and the north and bring me a report so that I may see how many there are. But Joab replied, may the Lord increase the number of his people a hundred times over. But why, my Lord, the king, do you want to do this? Are they not all your servants? Why must you cause Israel to sin? All right. So you can see straight away that as soon as the idea 
came out of David's mouth, there was someone close to him and there were people around him that immediately brought to his attention that, listen, this is not something that you're supposed to be doing. All right. Now, immediately, even before we go any further, what I see by reading about this and what David did is very, is this two things. Number one is this not, not every idea that pops into your head is a God idea. Even when it looks good, even when it sounds logical, because sometimes we think, oh, because it's in my head, it must be a good idea. Or because it's in my head, it must be God. No, not necessarily, because there are examples. Remember when Peter literally went to Jesus and said, you're not going to die. You're not going to go to the cross. As Jesus's friend, quotes, you know, so to speak, it sounded like a good thing to say. To be, a t- to be telling your friend, no, how can you say you're going to die? No, you're not going to die. But based on Jesus's response, we know for a fact that that thought originated from Satan. It wasn't Peter's thought. It wasn't a thought from God. It originated from Satan. So that we need to be aware of the thoughts that are going on in our minds. You can't just accept the fact that, oh, because it's in my head, it is my thought. And because it's my thought, it is something that I need to, you know, move forward with. Okay. It is not always the case. Satan makes suggestions through thoughts. All right. It is possible and he does it. And the other thing I notice is as soon as David said something and he wanted to act on that thought, there were people around him to try and safeguard him. So what I believe is that God puts safety measures in the form of relationships to help us avoid pitfalls, right? So there are people around us, people that are close to us. So you say something and they're like, that doesn't sound right. Maybe you should pause a little bit and think this through. But David was insistent, all right? He refused to listen to Joab. He refused to listen to the other commanders of the army. And he said, listen, this is what I want to do. Go and do it anyway. And the Bible says that Joab was distressed by the king's decision because he knew deep inside him that he was going to bring trouble. But David refused to listen to him. So the first two things that I've identified that I've learned, right, in this story so far is the fact that don't just say, oh, God told me. You have to check. You have to test the spirits, the Bible says. You have to try and identify the root of that thought that has come into your head. Just because it's coming, and I think a lot of times, because it looks, quote-unquote, like a good thing, we automatically attribute it to God. And we say, oh, God said to do this. Oh, God told me to go and do this. Oh, because it's a good idea, because it looks good, it sounds logical, We think it must be God. No, not necessarily. Counting the people is a good idea. But was it God? No. The motive in his heart that brought about that idea was pride. And it was from Satan. And the consequences were dire. So first thing is we have to test the spirits. You have to test the thoughts that are coming to your mind. The second thing is God puts people, relationships in our lives as safety measures to help us, to safeguard us from pitfalls. All right. So if you're someone that is quite impulsive, if you're someone that as soon as they thought, boom, you just run and you can do it. You may 
you know, this, this may, you know, this might affect you. And if you're someone who believes that you always know best, you will always bypass the advice that is coming. So obviously you don't take every advice that you're given. That's not what I'm saying. We don't take, because it's not everyone that knows what God would have you do. But the first step is being able to identify the source by just sitting still for a minute or two and saying, where did that thought come from? And thinking it through rather than immediately stepping out and acting on it. So to be impulsive and to be someone that believes that we always know best, right? That means we will bypass these safety measures that God has placed in our lives. All right. So the safety measures are there for a reason. Let us take advantage of them. So the first thing I have learned is that not every idea that pops into your head is a God idea. Even if it's good, it's not always a God idea that you're supposed to act on. And if you look well enough, there are people, there are relationships that God has placed in your life that will safeguard you from pitfalls. If you just pause long enough to take into account the advice of the people around you, or even to take time long enough to think it through with the Holy Spirit and ask it, is this something that you would have me proceed with? All right. It might have come from you. It might have come from envy. You may have seen someone do it and you think, oh, I'm going to do it too. (laughs) Right. So just because it's in your head does not mean it's something that you're supposed to act on. And David learned this the really hard way. All right. So I'm going to move on. So obviously, because he took that step, which was a sin against God. So he, he, um, he took on Satan's bait. Basically, so Satan baited him, he swallowed the bait, and as a result of that, he had the people numbered and a plague broke out. So there are consequences for acting on those kind of thoughts, all right? So we can't just rush into them. We need to be able to sit down and think it through and identify the source of them because it might just be Satan trying to trip you up. So a plague broke out as a result of Davy's actions. And so people were dying. Up until this point that I'm describing, about 70,000 people had died. 70,000 people, all because of one rash decision. Because he couldn't sit down long enough to think it through. And because he was too proud to take the advice of the people God had surrounded him with. So the plague broke out, 70,000 people had died. So David cried out to God and God intervened and he poured out his mercy and then gave David specific instructions on how to stop the plague. So that's why I'm going to continue from in 1 Chronicles 21 from 18. It now says, then the angel of the Lord instructed David to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arona. So this is where our character for today is introduced. So this guy, Arona, has a threshing floor and he says, so David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. When Arona saw David approaching, he left his threshing floor and bowed before David with his face to the ground. David said to Arona, let me buy this threshing floor from you at its full price. Then I will build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. Right. So the literally God says, God sent an angel to tell David, 
the only way you're going to stop this plague and from all these people dying is go and buy a field. He was very specific. He named Arona by name and said, buy his field. Because at that point, that was where the angel had reached and make a sacrifice to me there. So David was very quick to carry out that instruction. So he went to this guy and asked him, I want your field. I'm going to buy it off you. Now listen to what Arona said. Let's put this in a bit of context. This is this guy's livelihood, all right? It wasn't just like one tiny piece of land because the Bible says, I didn't read that part, how at that point he and his four sons were in that, on that land in the threshing floor and they were threshing wheat. So this was the source of livelihood. This was quote unquote, maybe his job or his business or his source of income. So asking him to give it up was not a small thing. It was going to be a huge sacrifice. But listen to how this guy responded. So Irona said, take it, my lord, the king, and use it as you wish. I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. So he just wanted to serve. He knew how dire the situation was and he was willing to release, to let go of his own livelihood in order to serve, in order to save people, in order to be of service to God and to the king and to the people. He wanted to serve. He was willing, he was willing to let go of what he had in his hand in order to serve. Now, that was Arona's motivation. He saw a purpose that was bigger than his threshing floor. He saw a purpose that was bigger than himself. And he was willing to sacrifice the present in order to gain the future, in order to serve people. Now, what he didn't know, now this is where it gets very interesting. All right. And this is where delayed gratification comes in, right? As a good thing to have is this. What Arona didn't know. He couldn't have imagined that in his own desire to serve David and to serve God, that one day, did you know that the temple, Solomon's temple was actually built on that same site. So even though at that time he didn't know that's where the temple was going to be built, his own motivation was, listen, if this is going to cost me my livelihood, if my children and I are going to end up being poor from this point on, it doesn't matter. I want to serve because he connected it to a bigger vision and a bigger purpose than himself. He was willing to sacrifice the present in order to save people. But Second Chronicles 3.1 says, Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem where the Lord had appeared to David, his father. The temple was built on the threshing floor of Arona, the Jebusite, the site that David had selected. So he had the honor of being named later on as the person on whose land the temple that housed the presence of God was built. What an honor. His name went down in history as someone who sacrificed the present in order to gain an inconceivable glory in the very near future. It wasn't even a long time because it was shortly after this that David died and Solomon became king and then he began to build the temple. So it would have been in his lifetime. We can actually assume that Arona was alive 
when that temple was built and they'll be walking past, walking into the temple. I think, oh, wow, this, the temple is sitting on my land. Do you see what I'm saying? All right. So my, the second thing, the lesson that I've learned, the second lesson that I've learned from the life of this man is simply this, the level of sacrifice that you're willing to make today determines the level of glory that is awaiting you in your future. So if we're not willing to make the sacrifice and delay gratification today, it means that we will not have that glory, that sacrifice will have brought us in the future. It's very, very simple, right? If he had not given up that threshing floor, it was well within his right. He could have said no. He could have considered the fact that, listen, if I give this up, how are we going to eat? Right? It was a massive sacrifice, but he made that sacrifice anyway. And there are so many examples that we can relate in our own lives in terms of delaying gratification. So you want to do something now, but you know that if you do it now, it will jeopardize something in your future. And when I say future, it's not always 50 years from now. <laughs> All right. Sometimes I give the example of eating a chocolate bar, for example, you know that it's going to take you off track and you know that by the time you finish it, maybe later on, the guilt that will come and you're just feeling blah, like, oh, you know, I can't believe I did that. Is it worth it? No, not necessarily. But to delay that gratification and sacrifice and say, no, I'm going to put this aside so that I can, by the end of the day, be able to take off and say, right, I've achieved what I set out to do. And the confidence that comes with that takes you into the next day and you can even do much better. But not having the self-control to say no now in order to have a better future is what we're learning here today. So the level of sacrifice that you're willing to make today determines the level of glory that is awaiting you in the future. They say, <laughs> you know, save rather than spend. So going on a spending spree, there are so many examples. Giving our time, energy, and effort to serve God and to serve people. Thinking, oh, I'd rather do this. I'd rather spend my time doing this. But we know that the reward, you know, the, the truth of the matter is God does not owe people. He's, he's a debtor to no man. So when we give, we know we have the guarantee that he will reward us. So whatever we sacrifice in the present hasn't left your life, right? If I sacrifice something, if I give something up, or if I give into something, it hasn't left your life, all right? It has gone into your future to multiply and to give you something bigger. So if you begin to look at it with that kind of, uh, through those kind of lenses, then it's easier to be able to make those decisions. So, right. So let's move on. And I'm going to wrap up here very soon. So after Arona made that grand gesture and said, listen, King David, if you want my threshing floor, take it. In fact, I'm going to give you uh, the bulls that you're going to sacrifice. Everything you need, I'm going to give it for free. You don't have to pay for it. How did David respond? And we're going to pick up another lesson here from the way David responded. It says, King David replied to Arona, No, I insist on buying it for the full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. 
So David gave Arona 600 pieces of gold in payment for the threshing floor. Okay. <laughs> the truth is, yes, it's nice to get freebies. And, you know, if, if I'm being honest, a lot of us today, um, maybe Christians in particular, if we had been David, we would have said, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, God is so good. God is so awesome. You mean I don't have to pay? Oh, that's fantastic. And we'll be giving testimonies and, and all of that. Yeah, there's a place where, you know, for people walking up to you and giving you things. But there's also something to learn here from David's response. I mean, he was king. He could have even taken it by force. Right. Remember, there was a king that that did that. Right. He literally just went and took somebody's vineyard and said, I want it. He killed the person and took it. David could have done that. All right. And apart from that, Arona offered it to him for free so he could have taken it for free. But he said, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. I will not take what is yours to give it to the Lord. The truth is, there is no such thing as something for nothing. There is no such thing as something for nothing. So when we're sort of always looking for freebies, we don't want to pay the price or to invest in the future that we say we want. Basically, what we're really saying is we don't want that future. Because there will always be the place of investment, investing time, investing money, investing energy, investing relationships in order to secure the future that we want. So, you know, you would, um, we, we talk about, you know, mentoring and all those things and, and, and all that. But another, another side to this is sponsorship. And at the recent career conference that I attended, we're talking about sponsorship as in how if you find a sponsor, the person obviously would, you know, sponsor you and speak for you at higher levels so that you get promotions and all that. But the other thing is you have to be willing to be useful to the person as well. And there's something about the way the Christian mind thinks, and, you know, that makes it that make that makes that sound a little bit dodgy. As in, why do I, you know, why, why, why you scratch my back? I scratch your back. That, you know, we have been taught that that's not very Christianly, quote unquote. But look at this. Look at what David is demonstrating here. He's saying just wanting to get something from someone without reciprocating, without investing something in their life. David showed clearly here that he didn't want any part of that. Possibly because he realized that it was Arona's livelihood as well. If he took it, right, how was the guy going to eat? Do you understand? So the thing is, there is no such thing as something for nothing. We have to give and it will be given to us. The Bible says good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. But always going about looking for people to invest in your life and not investing in people's lives looking to always get 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 from a particular person or group of people and not investing back into that person's life that relationship 
will not last. After a while, the person will start avoiding you because they'll be like, this person is just all they're interested in is getting from me. They have no interest whatsoever in pouring into my own life. They have no interest whatsoever in my well-being. They're only interested in what they can get from me. David demonstrated that here. So what's my third lesson that I have seen from studying this? Until you are prepared to invest in the future that you desire, it will continue to be out of your reach because there is nothing like something for nothing. It's a principle of God that we give and this is given to us. We should wear the kind of lenses, have the perspective that everywhere I go, I want to be able to invest in people. I'm not just going to go and find someone and just keep getting, 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 getting from them and never invest back in that person's life. All right. Freebies. People look for freebies. And the other reason that David said that I will not give something that costs me nothing is because if it's of no value to you, then it will actually not mean anything to you in the end. So he was, it was about to stop a plague, right? He was about to sacrifice something for a terrible decision that he had made. And imagine if he had just taken it free of charge and given it to God, it cost him nothing, right? That actually cost him nothing. So, what would have been the result of that? His heart wasn't in it because the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you had not invested something, something of, of worth, of value in that venture, his heart would not have been in it. And God, remember, requires the heart. He looks on the heart. So that's why he said, I have to pay for this. And it cost him 600 pieces of gold. That's a lot of money. And in my own experience as a coach, right, people come to me and they say, oh, um, can you can you coach me for free or can you do this discount and so on? And, do you know, because I want to help people early on, I would do it for free, give people access to programs, etc., for free. But, do you know, <laughs> every single time, in fact, I can't maybe one or two exceptions, maybe one or two exceptions, but majority of the time, probably 90% of the time that I've given a paid program for free, the people, in fact, it didn't take them two or three weeks for the lost interest. Why? Because it cost them nothing. And as a result of that, their heart wasn't in it. If you really want to grow, you have to be willing to invest. It has to cost you something, whether time, whether dedication, whether effort, whether energy, whether money, it must cost you something in order to deliver something back to you. So that's the third thing that I learned from this. So I'm going to wrap this up by actually, because we today we're not just talking about the why to develop the habit of delayed gratification, but also the how. So from the story of Arona and David, I've extracted three ways that you can develop a habit of delaying gratification, of giving up a pleasure in the present in order to gain something beautiful in your future. And the first thing is this, like Arona, make the vision bigger than yourself. Remember, 
the reason why Arona did it, he didn't even know about the reward later on, how the temple was going to be built, he, how his family would have the honor of having the temple sitting on their land. He didn't know. He didn't know at that point. The reason why he was able to delay gratification and give up and sacrifice what he had in his hand in the present was because he made the vision bigger than himself. He linked it to other people. He saw that, listen, if my land is what is needed to stop this plague, if it's going to help people, I'm in. All right? I'm in. If he had only thought of himself, if he had only thought of his four sons, he would never have given up that land. So if you want to develop a habit of delaying gratification, of sacrificing something in your present that is going to add value to your future, you need to link that goal to some of the important people or events in your life. What do I mean by that? So for example, I don't know, you know, if, if you're trying to build your income, if you're trying to build wealth, you might start thinking, listen, if I keep going the way I'm giving, the way I'm going, if I keep spending all the money that comes in every month and even more, how are my children going to go to school? What kind of legacy am I going to leave behind? So you have to begin to link it to something that's bigger than you. When you do that, it becomes easier to look at that, uh, whatever it is that you know, we spend money on, to look at that handbag and go, ah, no, 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 no. This needs to go in my investment rather than adding, you know, I already have more than enough. Why buy another one? So if you link it to the important people and events in your life, the more, the better, the bigger the vision, the better, then you'll be able to delay your gratification. You'll be able to sacrifice the present in order to secure your future. The second way is unlike David. So don't follow David. <laughs> unlike David, take advantage of the relationships in your life, right? relationship for wise counsel, support, and accountability. If you remember what I shared, as soon as David said, hey, go and count the people, as soon as he told Joab, Joab spoke up and said, I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's going to be a sin against God. Don't do it, right? So if David had taken advantage of that accountability and the support, he would have sat down and thought, mm, okay, let me even think about what Joab is saying, right? If he had made himself accountable to people, to the relationships in his life, he would not have taken that step that brought a lot of ruin. So the way to do it is get accountable to people that you can trust. Make yourself accountable. If you're trying to save a, a certain percentage of your salary, Make yourself accountable. Show it to someone that you trust. It could be your spouse. It could be your best friend or someone and say, listen, I'm going to, you know, show you a screenshot of my account to show that the money has gone and I haven't spent it. Make yourself accountable to relationships in your life that you can trust. If David had listened to Joab, he would have dismissed Satan's temptation to satisfy his own ego in that moment. So accountability to the people in your life is one way to develop a habit of delayed gratification. And the third and final way is this, keep the consequences of your action in plain sight. 
Remember, it was written plainly in Exodus 30 that if David had numbered the people, these are the consequences. A plague would you know, break out and people would die. It was written in black and white. But, you know, David had conveniently forgotten that particular law, right? He had conveniently forgotten it, that if he carried out that action, even though in the moment it sounded like a good idea, Satan came and tempted it. And Satan doesn't come and present something in a bland way. He will garnish it. He will make it seem like, hmm, David, do you know you're a great man? Do you know how awesome you are? Let us show people that you're truly awesome and you're a great king. Let's number the people and you can tell them how mighty your army is. So that's how we'd have painted it. But if David kept the law of God in front of his eyes, he would have seen that, no, 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 no. That is not a good idea because God said, don't do it. So how does this apply in a practical way? If you're trying to build wealth, if you're trying to, whatever it is, put the consequence, the negative consequence of not sacrificing, the, uh, of not delaying gratification in front of you. So trying to lose weight, you have to remind yourself of the consequence and say, if I eat this thing now, it's not going to be worth it in the end, right? It's not going to be worth the hassle, the guilt, the feeling bad, the feeling bloated, etc., etc., etc. in the end. Because in that moment, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, the last thing on your mind is a consequence. The only thing that you're thinking of is a pleasure that you're going to derive from partaking of that thing. So, you know, people that have affairs or whatever it is, at that moment, their husband or their wife, that's the last thing on them. They're not thinking about that. In fact, if the idea comes, some people will just quickly remove that image. Why? Because the focus is on the pleasure in the moment. So you have to keep the consequences in the front of your mind that if I do this, this is a consequence. This is just a smoke screen. It might give me pleasure in the moment, but what is going to cause the havoc that is going to wreak later on is not worth it. So those are the three ways to develop a habit of delayed gratification. All right. So that is what I've come to uh, teach you today. And I want to say a very big thank you for being a part of this podcast today. And we will be back next week. If you're someone that loves to help people, then please, by all means, share this podcast with friends, family, and colleagues, and invite them to be a part of the Super Abundant Life Tribe. All right. I will see you next week. Bye.